Welcome to Short Course, episode 83, for November 18th, 2022. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I wanted to take a break from the last few weeks of very sort of nitty-gritty USPSA-specific discussion and talk about a much broader area, which is practical shooting in general and the role that I think it needs to play in the world and, and in society, really. And I know this sounds sweeping, but but follow me on this. I've, I've got a number of areas we're, we're going to talk about, but the general idea here is, yes, it's fun to argue about the very niche rules of USPSA, and we need to get those things right. But we can't lose sight of the larger goal and the larger purposes that practical shooting, and when I say that, I don't just mean USPSA. I mean IDPA and Steel Challenge and 3-Gun and 2-Gun and PCSL and, and any form of shooting competition where both speed and accuracy are being measured and your score is a result of both, where we're not talking about bullseye, although there's value in that. I, I think, obviously, there, there's a huge amount of technological development coming out of things like PRS and obviously bench rest is completely impractical, but they've been finding out all kinds of things about applied external ballistics for decades. So all of those, all of those are, are relevant. What I really want to focus on is practical shooting. And like I said, that means IDPA, USPSA, things that have not even been invented yet, potentially, but things that actually give you something to do with your gun beyond just looking at it and punching holes in paper with no time limit. So I've got five things that I want to go over that are different areas that practical shooting relates to society and, and reasons that, that we really need it to be healthy and we need it to grow because at the size it's at, it's not doing all of these things as well as they could be. And so we'll start with concealed carry, which is where a lot of us get into the sport and the hobby, which is you get your carry permit, you get a gun, and then you say to yourself, well, just going to the square range doesn't have the kind of time pressure. It doesn't build the kind of skill that you probably would want to have if you were in some kind of shooting where you had to, to draw and use your gun. And classes are nice, but they're rare and they're expensive. And so you look around and you find an IDPA match near you that's 20 bucks, and you go out and you shoot it and, and your eyes are opened. And this is, this is one of the things that I think practical shooting should be doing and needs to be doing, and to some degree is doing. I think this is one where, where we're doing okay. I definitely think it would be better if every match every range had a match it, the in terms of getting the message out and making practical shooting whether it's an outlaw match whether it's IDPA whether it's USPSA everybody who has a concealed carry permit should have access to ideally more than one match that they could go shoot so there there are these opportunities to have your eyes opened to how good you may or may not be get a chance to be put under a little bit of time pressure and get a chance to practice. And ideally, what you would do at the match would would you then take home and take into your own practice. But for a lot of people, the a match is is the only time they touch a gun all month, aside from putting the holster on and off with the with the gun in it. So even for those folks, just having a, a once a month check in where they can go and shoot six, twelve round IDPA stages, it's better than nothing. And I think that is that is something that we have to keep an eye on. We need, if, if concealed carry is going to be 
more than just people buying a gun and putting it on their bedside. If it's actually going to be something where people aren't just carrying the guns, but they're proficient in using them, they need to have some kind of regular check-in, some kind of scheduled event where they can actually get that that check. They can actually get that practice and that reminder, hey, this is this is how it works. The the great thing about a match, unlike going to a range, you know, if you're a member of a of a range and you can go anytime, or if you just go to a public range and pay your 20 bucks for an hour, both of those you can put off to next weekend. One of the the hidden geniuses of of shooting matches is you either go or you don't go. There's it's a lot harder to make it fit your schedule and certainly in my experience that causes me to have to rearrange things around matches but in a way that that makes sure that I actually tend to go more often than I would if I could just go any day of the the weekend if I could just pick oh I'll do it next weekend I think people would put it off more and so there's a sort of finality that that having it on the schedule creates that again I think is is good for people who take concealed carry seriously and and want to be familiar and be proficient with their guns Beyond that, even for people who who don't concealed carry, people who maybe they're too young, maybe it's it's not some it's not a lifestyle that, that they want to do. The second thing is, it gives people something to do with their guns, and and now we're talking about obviously more than just pistols. This could be any kind of shooting competition. It could be a steel challenge match with a, a rimfire rifle that is not in in any real practical sense a self defense firearm. It could be some kind of PRS match. It could be a, a, a two gun match. All of these things, they, they take, they take gun ownership from something that you just buy and hold to an active activity. It's something that, that becomes an ongoing part of your life. So it's not just something you buy and then sit on and maybe, you know, you have a three day weekend once a year and you go to the range and you shoot a couple hundred rounds. No, it becomes a, a recurring part of your life. And and this is important because if we want people to stand up for their gun rights, if we want people to actually be voting based on wanting to retain the ability to not just own these things, but do this hobby, but participate, actually, it's not just something that you have on your, your bedside table for uh, an event that you hope never happens. It, it becomes an integral part of, of your social life. It becomes part of your calendar. And I think that that takes guns, again, from something that you just own to something that you actually do. It's an activity. It's not just a possession. And I think practical shooting gives the structure and, like I said, the schedule to to actually make that a, an integral part. It's not just something you do when you don't have anything else going on on the weekends, when there's not a football game on TV or something like that. No, it, it becomes something that's on the schedule and... If you go to matches regularly, you you see the same folks. You start to build relationships. And so they'll ask you, hey, where were you this weekend? Right? All of these things contribute to people looking at guns, not just as a possession that, uh, well, you know, I guess I guess if I had to give it up, you know, maybe I don't really care that much. And and obviously I know a lot of a lot of us pro two A folks don't feel that way, but but we're talking about the the middle of America. We're talking about the people who if they just buy a gun and then it sits around for five years, eh, maybe they realize they they don't actually care about having it that much. And if they have something to do with it, if it's actually something that isn't just intimidating, but it's actually something where they feel like they, they are able to participate in an event and gain mastery over time and and actually have something invested in it, 
where it's not just a, a possession that sits on their mantelpiece, but it's actually something that they that they do something with. That's valuable at a societal level for defending our gun rights. The more people that do that, the more people will vote that way. And the more people that, that have the gun that can then take some friends out, even if the friends never come to a match, but they can take them shooting and then those people can see, oh, a gun isn't just an inanimate object that, that kills people. Someone has to be behind it pulling a trigger. You look at all these anti-gun people, how many of them have actually shot a gun even once just to, just to understand what the process is like? They're so afraid of it that they, they have no context. And so the more people that participate in some kind of sport that can, that can spread the message, obviously, the more people are going to see guns for what they are, which is a tool that can be used for good or bad, depending on the person wielding it, and not just some evil thing that causes death and destruction wherever it goes. And that's what we need. We need more people not to be browbeaten with politics and, oh, Second Amendment, my rights. We need people who shoot a gun and have that aha moment that, oh, this is just a tool and the real problem are the people using them to do bad things. The third thing that practical shooting does at the very high end of the sport is it is a, a reservoir of expertise for people who need to, for whatever reason, whether they're law enforcement, military, people who need to be as good as possible at killing bad guys with as little investment of time as possible. And so there are guys like me where I do this as a hobby. I spend all my free time doing it because I enjoy it. But there are guys that have 10 things they need to be training. They need to, to, to go to a medical expert to get medical training. They might need to go to a diving expert to get diving training. And they want to come to shooting experts who have dedicated their lives and they've specialized in doing one thing and they want to get as much as they can about how to shoot fast and accurately from those people. And so to that degree, practical shooting is, is the skill development platform where all of these ideas are tested, where new concepts, new ideas are brought in, they're tried, new pieces of gear, they, they all enter the crucible. And when someone needs to, to know what the best doctrine is, what the best way to hit a target in a hurry is, there are the people like Jerry Barnhart and J.J. Rakaza and Ben Steger that can go in and teach these guys what they need to know and and how to continue to practice. They can give them the, the, the skills and the drills and, and the tools to be able to train themselves and pass that along to other people in their department or in their unit or, or whatever it is. We need that so that those people, when they need to go kill somebody who needs killing, they can do it and come home alive. And practical shooting is and should be the place that they look to for expertise. We don't want to become such a abstract, rarefied version of shooting that we aren't seen as something that actually has that practical value. And again, this, this has to do with pistols. This has to do with shooting rifles fast and accurately. This has to do with PRS. All of these things are, are disciplines that inform these guys when they need an expert to go to and to figure out how to do any given task. They find someone who does it 52 weekends a year for, for fun, and they've invested their life in it, and they may never use these skills, but they can pass it along to someone that, that does need them. The fourth thing is the idea that practical shooting 
again, USPSA, IDPA, Steel Challenge, PRS, 3-Gun, all of these different branches, they should all be the crucible in which gear is tested. And I, I'm thinking specifically of USPSA in, in this context that we sh- it should be seen. We want it to be seen as the place where it's not just all finicky race guns that choke all the time. Sure, there are those guys that, that are the at-home gunsmiths or they, they didn't tune their mags right. There, there are those guys that are always having jams. But if you really look at the people at the high level who are winning national championships, their gear has to run. And if they're practicing with that gear, they're shooting 40, 50,000 rounds a year through however many guns it takes. But that gear has to be reliable. When you go to a nationals, if you're having malfunctions every few stages, you're not in contention to win. And so this idea that that these race guns are these fragile things that puke all the time, again, there are some of those, but not most of them. And we want the sport to both be the crucible where manufacturers bring gear and let it get tested. We we're seeing this happening every day right now with red dots where there, there has been this sort of ongoing investigation of who's got the reliable red dot. How long can, can red dots last? Who can put this many 10,000s of rounds on this dot or that dot? And this is this, this reputation is growing and evolving every day as people put more rounds on their gear, see more failures, try different configurations. Some people say having it mounted directly to the slide causes more wear. Some people, there's now these theories about having it on a plate actually helps the, the dot to not get as much uh, shock as it moves back and forth. I, I don't know. I We don't know. But all of the, everybody in the sport is is slowly trying all these experiments. And over time, we will triangulate on what people find to be the thing that works the best. And then people who just want to buy that thing, maybe they put a few hundred rounds through it, but then they want to be able to trust their life to it. They can use that expertise. We can actually inform them. And then there's this this synergistic reputation where ideally we want to be seen by manufacturers as the place that they go to to be battle proven. They want, you know, maybe, yeah, you have some tactical guys with beards and battle belts that that shoot your gear and that makes great Instagram marketing. But if you can have somebody say, I just won a national championship with this Canic, or I just won, what, three or four of them, however many Nils won this year, that's the kind of thing that that we should strive to be, we should strive for that to be something that manufacturers and the larger gun culture value, where they actually look at something like that and say, wow, that actually means something, winning a national title or doing well repeatedly at a high level in 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 USBSA, that actually tells you something about the reliability and the quality of the gear. And this goes guns, ammos, holsters, red dots, sights, grip panels, everything. Every little piece matters. And that's what this sport should be. And I say that as someone who my my personal preference is to shoot in a relatively stock gun division. I, I like production. I would I would like it if it were, were more were more of a stock gun division. But the idea would be that's the place where people can look at the guns and say, okay, these haven't been modified. These come more or less how they come from the factory. That's the way they're being shot. But then at the other end, I see value. I'm not personally interested in it, but I do see value in the guys tinkering with open guns and how to build the most efficient compensator and where to put the the, the weight. Do you want it? Do you want a tungsten sleeve barrel or do you want a really heavy grip? All of these, all of these little experiments 
inform the larger understanding of how these guns work. You know, everybody can say, oh, well, a, a lighter slide recoils less or a, a heavier barrel doesn't flip as much. But when you actually build 10 different variations and have different people shooting them, we, we figure these things out as a sort of distributed learning mechanism. And that's, that's what I want the sport to be. I want people to have different places, right? You have production, but you also have open, you have limited, but you also have carry optics. You, you have these different places where you can choose the level of customization that you want to do to your gun. And then within that, you can explore if that's what's interesting to you. And certainly for many manufacturers, they want to try different things and obviously steal ideas from the custom gun makers that are coming out with, with all kinds of different stuff and then build it into their, their factory guns. That's something that, that I think we do to some degree, but I do think that, that there could be more. I, I think it is not seen as prestigious as it could be for gear, not just to, to have a bunch of banners and, and sponsor nationals, but to actually be seen winning matches and be seen by people actually doing the sport and succeeding at a, at a high level on a consistent basis. And then finally, I think the, the the fifth thing I had on my list is just the idea of having practical shooting be an activity that that brings people together, and in particular, people with similar ideas where we can meet and socialize and swap ideas and learn things we didn't know. And this is the kind of thing that used to be done by all kinds of amateur sports leagues, right? I mean, people used to have whatever bowling leagues and poker nights, and and a lot of that still exists out there, but at the same time. There, there are at a societal level, these kind of group activities, these structured, scheduled get togethers are on the decline. And if we can at least keep practical shooting as a place where people get together and don't just shoot together, but actually have a little bit of space to build some kind of interpersonal relationship. I, this, to me, this is actually one of the ways that USPSA is quite a bit worse than than when I got into it. And as efficient and and nice as practice score is, it has definitely eroded this sense of of community. The the match that I talk about all the time at, at Sir Walter Gun Club up the road, the first USPSA match I, I shot, when I got into it, you showed up and there were a bunch of clipboards with all the squads. And when a squad was full, they they would pull that clipboard. And so if you were lucky, you might be able to squad with one or two people you knew, but you didn't have this dynamic where you now, at least the way it often works with practice score, where you're squatting with the same six, seven, eight people every time. And yes, that is I, that is a blessing in one way, in that you do get to have a lot of very strong bonds with a very small group. But there was this element of, of mixing where you were always meeting different people, you're always on a different squad, you're always being exposed to, to different folks with, with different backgrounds and different sets of experience and things to teach you. And then at the end of the match, we would stick around for the, the paper results. There, there wasn't this idea that, oh, you could just get the results on your phone on, on the way home. If you wanted to see who won, you would, you would stick around. And yeah, there was, there was the downside that we used to have somebody sitting in the, the stat shack all day, typing in the score sheets. I'm, I'm not, I'm not looking at this, you know, with, with rose tinted glasses, but there are a lot of matches, especially these days where you sign up online, you go straight to your bay if you show up early, you're saying hi to other folks. And and I'm I'm as guilty of this as anyone. So so I don't want this to be hypocritical. Because when I show up to Sir Walter Club match, I want to walk the stages. I want to see all the little nuances and get all the advantage I can. And that's always that's a constant tension of 
how good, how much time do I want to spend walking stages versus how much time do I want to spend talking to people? And I really enjoy the talking to people. I, I really do. But it's, it's one of these where I, I always have to kind of check my watch and make sure I'm not just getting lost in conversation as much as I'd like to. And so I don't know the, the exact solution to this, but I do think that we need to look at practical shooting, not just as getting people in and out the door as efficiently as possible, but finding ways to give opportunities to actually build relationships and, and give people 20, 30 minutes somewhere in, in the match just to, to, to actually get to know the people on their squad or some of the other people on other squads in their division where they can maybe swap strategies and stories and ideas and advice. We, we, we don't do this as well as, as we used to, at least maybe, maybe I have a, 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 an overly positive memory, but it isn't the way that, that I remember it when I first got into the sport. And I don't think that that is beyond fixing, but I think there, there are some cultural issues there where with practice score, with signing up and squatting online and getting your scores, it definitely shooting has become much more transactional and much less communal. And that has its good points. But if we can also keep in mind that the point of this sport is not just to show up, shoot the stages and get your score. Yes. At a big match that you want to do that as efficiently as possible, but there's always this element of at the end of the day, we also want to get to know each other. We want to build a community and maybe you meet some folks and you actually have them over to your house for a barbecue or something like that. And I know there are places around the country and I know people listening to this have had that experience and, and, and made those friends. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I'm just saying the way the sport is structured, particularly USPSA, the way it's structured right now is not as conducive as it could be to that. And so I don't have specific recommendations for all these. I mean, I could throw out some ideas, certainly the idea of having some kind of get together after the match where people stick around and, you know, maybe someone cooks burgers on a grill or, or there's some reason to actually hang out for 20, 30 minutes and, and actually build that community a little bit and just talk and swap stories. There, there are ways to, to, to address this, but I, I just, I really think that it's easy to get really lost, especially with everything going on with the board and the minutes and the rules and the elections and, and really forget that practical shooting is, is more than just getting really, really good at scoring the rules as they're written and, and making little tweaks that I, I really see it as something that fills a, a vital niche in our society and could actually do a lot more good if it were a lot bigger if there were a lot more people involved, and I'm not just talking about doubling the, the number of squads at, at your local match, but actually scaling up the number of matches, getting more people involved, not just in shooting, but in running matches. And if it were to the point where everybody, every gun owner in the country had the opportunity to shoot a, some kind of practical shooting match more often, I think more people would. And if we could be more welcoming, be more friendly, I mean, obviously, the idea of a, of a stock gun, a 15-round stock gun division dovetails into this nicely. If you have some guy that, that just bought a Glock 19 with three 15-round magazines, well, telling him to show up and shoot limited minor, yeah, I mean, technically you could. But saying, hey, you're in production, load your mags up to 15, you got 45 rounds to get through uh, at most a 32-round field course. And ideally, I, I think also it might not be a bad thing if in general – 
club matches were lower round count. Not every, especially the club mat at the club level, not every stage needs to be 32 rounds. My, my personal rule of thumb, you know, if I were designing a, a whole match, I would say try and average out to 22 rounds a stage. So for every 32 rounder you have, have a 12 rounder. It's not exactly the, the IPSC 321 rule. It's more of a 111, I guess. But just look at that, look at that number. Try and triangulate around something that's more of a moderate round count. So there are a few high round count hoser stages. But again, if you if you use steel targets and you use positions well, you can have a perfectly interesting 16 round stage that is more challenging than a lot of 32 rounders and more interesting to shoot too. And for someone new, even that more technical 16 round stage is going to be easier to shoot than, than a 32 rounder, just, just sheer duration of the stage and, and cognitive load and that sort of thing. And I think too, you know, having some kind of differentiation where we have some kind of matches that are maybe more beginner friendly and then matches that are meant to be more simulating of, of bigger matches. And, and to some degree, for example, around here, different matches cater to, to a different market. You know, for example, Sir Walter definitely tries to run a match that is as close to a, to a level two sectional type experience in terms of stages as we can. And if somebody were, but it's also seven or eight stages every month. If somebody were just trying to get out and shoot their first USPSA match, there, there are other matches that I would recommend because they're going to be shorter. They're going to be closer distance, largely easier shot difficulty, and they'll just be a, an easier transition in. But keeping these things in mind that we're not just, we're not just trying to make USPSA for the existing membership. That's important. But the fact that USPSA, IDPA, three gun, two gun, steel challenge, all of these things can have a role in society by bringing people in who currently either own a gun, but don't shoot it regularly or don't aren't interested in buying a gun because they don't know what to do with it. There, there's a role there that we are meeting, but at a very small scale, right? How many people, once they're actually introduced, once they make it out to their first USPSA match, are like, yeah, eh, that's not really for me. No, most people, once you, once you're introduced to it, once you get on the bandwagon, you, you can't get enough of it. And to me, the biggest issue is just that for whatever reason, people feel like the, the, the rules are unfriendly or, or overly forbidding. And so they just keep going to the range a couple times a year and shooting 50 or hundred rounds at, at a piece of paper. And they never develop their skills. They never get involved in something ongoing. I mean, I, I going to the square range and just shooting down a lane, it's, it's actually really weirdly dehumanizing. You, you don't talk to the people either side of you. You're kind of watching them to make sure they're not being unsafe, but you're, you've got your hour or whatever in the lane. But again, there's, there's no time. There's no function to actually make any kind of social connections. And so you just tend to kind of go in, do your business, shoot your, shoot however many rounds you brought take your paper off the carrier, sweep up your brass if they allow it at the range and, and get out of there. And that's not, you know, it's one of those experiences where you're around other gun owners, other people shooting, but it's not building a community. It's not building any kind of social fabric, making connections that potentially might be someone that you go practice with and that kind of thing. And, and to me, there's so much opportunity, practical shooting, USPSA and, and all the other sports could be so much bigger and have such a more significant impact on our, on our society that I think we have to keep sight of that 
even as we have all these discussions about the ins and outs of rules and how nationals should be run and, and all of these things, I think it, it's all important. But I think it's worth keeping an eye on that and, and not getting too focused on the details and remembering to have a vision of, of what could be. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is ben at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.